Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickle and I'm the host of the Sendcast and I'm also the Managing Director of B-Squared, a company who supports schools to show small steps of progress. Each week on the podcast, we're talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs, something to help us learn and support children with special needs and disability. In this episode, our guest is Natalie Packer. She has joined me to talk about the Senko Workload, your responsibilities and some tips on how to make it more manageable. But before we get started, do you know what we do here at B-Squared? Have you even heard of B-Squared? B-Squared was started around 25 years ago by my mum. She always struggled to show progress for pupils with special needs, so she created something that would help keep her going until someone else made something better. 25 years later, she is still waiting. One of the ways we do this has been by launching the virtual SEND conference in 2019. It is a way to access CPD around SEND and make it more affordable and easier to access. It is a conference that you can access over the internet. It's also a series of videos you can watch whenever you want, helping you support pupils with SEND. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. If you are a parent, we've also launched Parent Talks so that you can access support and advice in the same way. Now on with the podcast. In this week's podcast, we're talking about managing the Senko workload. Our guest is Natalie Packer, an independent education consultant specializing in SEND and school improvement. Natalie develops and delivers a wide range of training and support to schools, multi-academy trusts, and other organizations. She's a member of Nason's 0-11 advisory group, also supports the whole school SEND review process. On top of this, and being a governor and also a trustee, Natalie has found lots of time to write books, The Perfect Senko and The Teacher's Guide to SEN. Welcome to the show, Natalie. Thank you. Senko is a really important role in schools, but one of the most challenging. Some Senkos are Senkos in multiple schools in a mat. Others only have half a day a week Senko time. I recently read a great story in a Senko Facebook group, a Senko who had extremely limited Senko time, called the time spent on different aspects of the role. She then shared this with the head teacher, who subsequently increased their time. So let's start with the Senko role. What does it cover? What is the Senko's role? And what are the legal requirements? So overall, I would say that the, the, the Senko has got a really key role to play in terms of working alongside the governors and head teacher in order to really sort of determine the strategic direction of SEND policy and, and practice in the school. They've also got that day-to-day responsibility for ensuring that the SEN policy is, is implemented across the school and to coordinate the specific provision for individual children with SEND and, and for groups of children with SEND. So all of that includes advising staff, and I think that's a, a really key role because the ultimately the provision and, and support within class is the responsibility of the class teacher, but you know, we, we can't just expect teachers to be to be doing that. We we need to be providing support. So a key role of the Senko is is definitely around providing that support for the teachers, advising on things like the graduated approach and what that looks like within their school. It includes really importantly liaising with parents and carers of pupils with SEND and also being the first point of contact and liaising with any external professionals that might be involved in supporting the school or supporting children with with SEN. It involves, the the role involves supporting transition because as we know, 
you know, transition is um is can be difficult for any child or young person, but transition for children who have additional needs can be even more challenging and can often require additional support and, and, and provision, particularly at, at key points of transition. So, for example, tran- transitioning from uh, from primary to secondary school. The Desenco has also got a role in terms of ensuring that the school keeps records of pupils with SEN up to date and also advising on how the notional budget for SEND is used and part of that is is will, will be around things like ensuring effective use of resources it might involve deployment of teaching assistance coordinating additional provision through provision mapping and that I think that advising on the the use of the of the SEND budget is is quite a key one and, and is often one that Senkos find quite challenging. Yeah, I think going back to the mention sort of working with those families, being that key contact person, I think in secondary schools, the Senko is obviously that person you'll go to, but in primary schools, in theory, it is going to be balanced between the class teacher and the Senko. Because what you don't want to do is go SEN, Senko. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And so I think as a part of that is around setting up really clear lines of communication within your own school so that it, it, it's clear to everybody it's clear to, to staff it's clear to parents actually who who that first per, you know per person would be that that you contact and like you say in, in primary schools that's likely to more likely to be the class teacher whereas in secondary schools that's more much more difficult to have one teacher necessarily who's the key point of contact so does often end up being the senko that takes that role on yeah, because it's important when you think about parents and things like that, it is going to be the class teacher having that conversation. So if you end up almost like off, if teachers offload stuff to the Senko, you end up involving that child is SEN, that's the Senko. When it comes to parents' evening, they're not going to be up to speed on the conversation about that child. They really need to be a, a partnership between the Senko and the teachers, not just offloading. It needs to be a supportive partnership and a triangle, because sometimes that person may go to the Senko sometimes it may go so it's got to be a three-way sort of partnership between those professionals and the parents definitely and it's, it's about getting that balance between that te- teachers are teachers are the ones ultimately that are responsible for all children in their class including those with special needs they're responsible for and accountable for the progress that those children make so as you say you know teachers have, have got to know the children well they've got to have those partnerships with the parents but having that that communication and that support from the Senko as well can be really helpful. Definitely. And I think you mentioned that in a few parts of that is that, that strategic, the strategic view on SEN and how that looked at the school and that partnership. And again, it really helps if that Senko is part of the senior leadership team to make that happen. It certainly does, yes. <laughs> There's been quite been quite a lot of research done around the role of, of the Senko, linked with the uh, with workloads of the Senko as well. And a few really important points that have come out of, of that, certainly in terms of Senko's being part of the leadership team and, and being strategic. So there was um, a, a workload survey done, started in, in 2018. Um, it was jointly produced by Nason, Baspar University and the National Education Union. And the, the, the survey looked at the, the workload of Senko's across the country. So... As part of the survey, they interviewed almost 2,000 Senkos, first of all, and looked at some of the challenges around the, the workload issues. 
some really interesting things that came out of that report. So the, the, the first report is called the It's About Time, the Impact of Senko Workload on the Professional in the School. So that was the original one done in 2018. And then the authors followed that up in 2019. Again, interviewed round about the 2000 Senkos and asked if there'd been any changes from the previous year. The second survey is called Time Is Now. I think it was subtitled Addressing Missed Opportunities for SEN Support and Coordination. And both of the surveys you can find on the on, on the SEND gateway. So just to kind of give a, a little bit of a summary of, of some of the main points of, of that survey. In the first one that they did, around about 70% of, of, of the SENCO surveyed felt that they didn't have enough time allocated to do the, the, their role. 70% is obviously quite high, although, to be honest, I was quite surprised that it wasn't higher than that, because I would say that probably 99% of Senkos that I speak to say that they don't have enough time to do the role. Anyway, that was what, that, that was what came out of the survey. And 20, about 26% of the, the people that were surveyed felt that it was manageable for one person. The rest of them didn't. But I think that that partly depends on the sorts of structures that, if you like, surround and the support that surrounds the Senko, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit later on. 78% of them said that they had other roles or, or tasks, if you like, that pulled them away from, from doing that Senko role. And that was quite often the case if the Senko was part of the senior leadership team, because if you know if you are if you are part of SLT, you will often have other roles and responsibilities to, to go alongside what you're already doing uh, uh, within your Senko role. Having said that, I'm not suggesting that because of that Senko shouldn't be part of SLT because I absolutely think in the majority of cases that they should be. But it does it, it does sometimes bring that extra workload and, and, and challenge with it. Interestingly, a high percentage of, of Senko, something like 96%, said that they um, would like protected time, protected non-contact time for um, for, for doing the, the the Senko role. So that was virtually all of the Senkos that they that they surveyed. So in a similar way to how teachers have uh, PPA time, Senkos felt that they should be that if you like that legally protected time for them to do their uh, role, which I you know I think would be great if that if that happened. So just going back to the the, the point around senior leadership be a part of senior leadership team one of the main conclusions from that workload survey was that in order for senkos to be able to do their role really effectively they need to be seen as strategic and they need to be part of the senior leadership team the reason that it's important for them to be strategic is because if we're really going to make a difference, SEN has got to be seen as a, as a whole school issue. It's, there's got to be that whole school approach. And for that to really happen effectively, the SENCO needs to be in a position to be working across the whole of the school and to be involved at that strategic level in terms of making decisions and you know, determining the direction of, of policy and, and practice and, and so on. And again, that's going to be easier if the Senko is part of the uh, of the senior leadership team, definitely. And I think one of the um, stats, which we, I think we mentioned in the previous podcast, is forty six percent of Senkos felt that their role was understood by senior leaders, but only twenty seven felt that their colleagues understood their role. Yes. So they're yeah. interesting numbers, and it shows you how they're not being put up on a pedestal. 
they're not being elevated up to that senior leadership role. Yes. It's, it's still kind of seen as a side role and not understood. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, where just, just going back to the what, what you were saying there about the percentage that who said that the leadership team understood them. You know, it was it's less than half, which is 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 quite worrying, really, that, you know, sort of 50 percent of our leadership teams essentially don't actually understand what the role of the of the Senko is. And, you know, if they if they don't understand, if seen other senior leaders don't understand the role, um, then they're not necessarily in a position to be able to support the Senko to develop that, that strategic role a, a, across the school. When you look at the figure just in secondary schools, it's actually a lot lower. So only 26% of secondary SENCOs said that they felt that the rest of the leadership team really understood the role of the SENCO, which, which again is, is quite a concern. I'd like to do a bit of triangulation work between the, um, the SENCOs who felt they didn't have enough time, the SENCOs who felt the job needed more than one person, and that they, the other members of staff didn't understand their job role. So it's, it's almost forgetting that quality first teaching and just going, oh, that's the Senko's job and just chucking everything at the Senko, forgetting actually, no, that's your responsibility. That's your responsibility. And I wonder how much of that happens, which causes that Senko to think there's a lot more work. Not actually, no, some of that isn't your work. That's the class teachers. It's certainly a lot better than it was it's it's you know in some schools unfortunately that is still happening but in a lot of schools you know there is there's some great practice and and teachers are taking responsibility you know again in in others that's not necessarily the um the, the case and I think this you know this comes down to what all the leaders are doing to promote that idea of every teacher a teacher of send and, and giving that message, making sure that that is, you know, part of their ethos, it's part of their culture, but that they're actually also supporting teachers to enable them to be a teacher of pupils with scent. Because I don't think, you know, we, can, we can't necessarily just expect all teachers to know and understand that role and to be able to implement, you know, effective high quality teaching for all of their children and provide additional support for, for those who need it. Senkos and other and other senior leaders need to, need to be providing that professional development for staff and that ongoing advice and support, which is why I, meant, I said before that that for me that is one of the key roles of the Senko. The Senko is there to really to empower teachers to be able to meet the needs of children with SEN in their class. Yeah, I think it's it's important that senior leaders reinforce that message by giving the Senko the time and opportunities to do that and also making teachers realise it, it isn't the Senko's job to support those children, it's theirs. I think it's, it's got to be that whole school and the Senko has to be supported to be able to do that effectively. And just going back to the, to the workload survey, for those Senkos who said that they felt that their leadership team did understand their role, many of them said that that really helped because although it didn't, that didn't necessarily mean that there was less work. They felt much more supported and the workload tended to be much more manageable because of the systems and the structures and, and the, that are in place and the support from the senior leadership team. So, you know, it does, it does really make a, a difference for Senkos when, um, when all leaders are on board. Yeah, it will remove a lot of those barriers that, there, that people will put up. And, it, yeah, it just makes uh, people listen. So. 
we've talked about the strategic. We've talked about the sort of the supporting teachers and the thing. We've also talked about that working with families. And it's also it's making sure you've got systems that work for these pupils as well. Yeah. So I obviously work in the world of assessment. That's what we B Squared do. And I go into lots of schools where the assessment system just isn't there for pupils with SE and they can't show progress. And it is it's about and that's not just about the Senko, that also affects all those teachers, all the teachers. If they can't show progress when they go to parents' evening, it's harder to have the conversation about the progress and about next steps. If you don't have that information, you can't show anything. So it's making sure that you have systems and, and tools that work for all pupils. It is. And I think it, you, know, you just gave assessment as a really good example there. There are... There are lots of elements of, if you like, an effective SEND system in, in, in school. And, and quite often for, for, for new SENCOs or for SENCOs who are new to post in a particular school, looking at how effective those systems are can be a, a really useful starting point. You know, at, at the end of the day, what really matters is the outcomes for children and young people and the quality of the provision that they're getting. But that can really be enhanced and helped, if you like, if you've got those those effective systems in place. So that that starts with thinking about the systems that you have in terms of strategic coordination of send across the school, including things like how you're how as a senco you are reporting back on outcomes for children and young people with with send, which clearly obviously links to to the assessment as well what systems you've got in place for things like reviewing your your policies. It includes the systems that you put in place for SEN identification. And I think this is a really important one because one of the key principles in the code of practice is around that effective, early and effective identification of SEND. And if we don't get that right, then actually everything else that follows will be wrong. Because if we don't know what the needs are if we're not identifying the needs appropriately then we don't know what the, the, the appropriate provision is to is to put in place so therefore it's not going to have the right impact on on the outcomes for those pupils so systems for identification i think are, are, are really important and and obviously there's a lot there's a lot around teachers and professionals knowledge in terms of how to identify a child with sen which is really important but the systems and processes that go alongside that can can be supportive if if they're effective. So it's things like, you know, thinking about do you in your school, do you have, if you like, an initial process to record initial concerns that you might have about a child with, you know, with, with SEN. So a child that's not already on the SEN register, for example, what is your system? What is your process for raising those concerns as a teacher? I'm talking about, you know, being a teacher now, because, again, it's the teacher's responsibility. What are those processes for, for teachers raising concerns and what happens next? Once those concerns have been raised, is the class teacher then having a conversation with the SENCO? Who's then talking to the parents about that? What evidence does the teacher need to collect about those concerns? What evidence does the teacher need to show that they've put high quality teaching strategies in place? At what point is a decision made? that the child requires special provision and therefore will be will then be placed on the SEN register effectively. So, you know, having, as I say, having those clear systems and processes in place for identification, I think, are really important. And then also thinking about the effective systems that you have in place for the assess plan do review 
process. So again, going back to your original point about assessment, how how are you as a school thinking about how are you building on whole school assessment processes, first of all, as an initial step? And then what other assessment processes and tools are you using to support that? And then when it comes to the planning process, you know, what what formats are you using for in individual support plans? What systems and tools are you using for managing provision, for example, through your provision mapping process? What processes have you got in place for reviewing those plans with, with children and, and with parents? So there's quite a lot around systems and processes that I think that, you know, Senkos can, can spend time so that they're really, really effective and then they will kind of help with everything else. There's a lot of talk about evidence-based decision-making. So when you're looking at new products, research it, find evidence it works. It's what the e Education Endowment Fund, there's lots of research and evidence to show why different practice works. So when it comes to thinking about identifying if a child may need support or even going to that next day or applying for an EHCP, you need the evidence. So you need systems to be able to collect that evidence of why do you think this child, why do they think they need support? Here's my evidence. Why do you think they need EHCP? Here's my evidence. If everything looks quite rosy and you have no evidence, then it would indicate there's no real need for that support. Yes. Or if you don't have the evidence at all, the you know, if you certainly if you were going for high needs funding or an EHC needs assessment, then it'll just get sent back anyway if the, if from the local authority if that evidence isn't there. So when you're thinking of an EHCP, actually the journey starts months or years before with that initial collecting of evidence. When you first thought, oh, there might be an issue here, might need additional support, and that all needs to be evidenced. It does. There's um, a, a lot of local authorities will request evidence from at least three cycles of the assess, plan, do, review process as part of that, you know, that, that, that evidence that goes forward for an EHC needs assessment. Now, what, what that actually looks like, what it includes, what the timescale for that is, will actually depend very much on, the, again, the systems you've got in your school and the needs of, of the child. But they, most local authorities will, will request that information, you know, that, that three, at least three cycles of, of, of that process before they will consider an EHC needs assessment. So it is, for the majority of children, it is really important. There will be some children, particularly younger children for whom you know they may have very significant needs which are, are are very apparent as soon as they as soon as they start school in which case it, it might be that evidence over a shorter period of time might be acceptable for a for an EHC needs assessment but generally speaking you do need that you know that three sort of three cycles also thinking the systems support those that evidence that but also the systems can support teachers it gives them more confidence and power so i know from my experience when we go in and we break down end of year outcomes into smaller steps that child works actually the teacher can look at what progress is what's the next steps and by giving that to the teachers to then plan their own they're, they're then putting less work on the senko because the teacher is now can now be in charge of their planning teacher now should be able to using what they've got she would do all their planning for the all the children in their class not go i'm not sure how to plan for this child and the senko have to support yeah and that again that's you know that's the responsibility of the teacher isn't it and the and the and a child with sen even if they are receiving some additional provision whatever that might look like the majority of of time 
the child will be taught by the class or, or a range of subject teachers in the case of a secondary school, not by the SENCO. So again, it comes back to that idea of the SENCO is there to support and empower the teachers to be meeting the needs of those children. Definitely. Yes, a big thing I see is I go to lots of schools where the teachers are just not sure what those next steps are, what that subject looks like at that level. It's out of their comfort zone. And giving those teachers that support really makes their life easier for them, which then means it's going to be better for the children. Yes, which is ultimately what's the important thing. (laughs) Cool. So let's move on to interventions. Okay. So, um, so we always we always mention previous work. Our high quality teaching is the first one, but there will be times where additional interventions are needed. So, yeah. in some schools, sometimes it's led by a TA. Other times, it's led by external people. In theory, that Senko's got to manage that whole process and almost document what's going on and build that evidence of all the stuff that's going on, so they can actually identify what is effective and what's not. So what's the best way of doing that? Is it just Word documents or is there a better way? Okay. Um, well, I think, I, I think the, the first thing just to, just to pick up on, because this is, this is a conversation I'm having with quite a lot of schools at the moment, is, is how we actually define the word intervention and what we mean by that. Because I, I think, you know, traditionally we've used that term to mean something which is additional but is often done outside of the class as a you know as in children are withdrawn from the class to have an intervention and that that is something which you know is 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 very sort of planned and sequenced and and is perhaps delivered a couple of times a week by by, by an additional adult i think that you know we just going back to the idea of high quality teaching and what that includes i, I think almost our our definition of it, intervention has has changed because an intervention essentially can can be anything. It, it could literally be the you know the class teacher having taught a literacy lesson, and I'm thinking obviously about primary school scenario. Class teachers taught a literacy lesson in the morning as part of their assessment for for learning. They've identified that one particular child has really struggled with the concept that they were teaching, and so for 10 minutes at lunchtime they sit with that child and do a little bit of of intensive follow-up work from the lesson in a sense that could be intervention but it's not intervention in the if you like the more traditional sense of uh, of the word so I think one of the challenges for Senkos is to you know when we when we're thinking about I suppose what we would refer to as the provision mapping process Senkos need to think about well what is it that we would include on a provision map where we're recording additional interventions, you know, is, it, is, is that 10-minute intervention that the class teacher's doing at lunchtime just to follow up, is that something we would include on our provision map or not? So I think as a, as a school, you need to decide what you, what you actually mean by intervention or by additional, additional provision. The you know, terminology you use doesn't really matter as long as everybody in the school understands what, what that means. So then through that, through that provision mapping process, that enables the, the Senko and other staff to be able to, if you like, record any additional provision or intervention that's happening and also to have a look at the impact of that. And the Code of Practice recommends that schools go through that provision mapping process, but there is no sort of one right way to do that. 
there isn't one particular format, if you like, for recording your provision map. Schools would do it in, in different ways. So some schools will just literally devise a table in, in Word or use Excel. I think if you're using Excel, it's it, it's often quite helpful because you can then filter. Or alternatively, you know, there are there are products available on the market, the commercial products that are available that you can, you know, that you can purchase that that will support that that process. And some of those products um are are really good, very, very detailed and will will really help the Senko to do to do that, you know, to go through that provision mapping process. So there are, you know, definitely ones that would be recommended and others that were that wouldn't. So you if you are thinking of going down the line of 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 buying a commercially produced piece of software, then it, it's definitely worth doing your research, you know, and asking around other Senkos what they used, what have they found uh, particularly useful. So with that that with that provision mapping process, the idea is that for for any of your children on your SEN register, you are going to be if you like recording and monitoring any additional provision that they are receiving so that you've got that if you like that overall or overall picture and then linking that to your assessment so that you can actually see what the impact of any additional provision ha- has been both in terms of the impact on that on that child on the individual child but also more strategically the provision mapping process will help you as a as a senko to actually strategically coordinate and plan your provision in the future because if you're using um if you're using a, a particular intervention and you have a group of students who are accessing that intervention and across those that group of students you can see that the impact that that has has had on all of those students has been really good then you know that that's likely to be an intervention that's that, that's worth keeping. Whereas, you know, conversely, if it's not having an impact on the majority of those students, you've got to ask yourself those questions around, is this intervention providing value for money? And I suppose when you think about the impact, it's not necessarily just the reading, the writing and the maths. There's lots of other things it could have a great, good impact on. So when you're looking at impact, don't just look at impact within the academic reading, writing, maths. Think of the whole child. Think of the broad areas, broad areas of need. Think of preparing for adulthood, talking just to families. So sometimes your interventions maybe aren't for academic reasons, they're for other reasons. And if the family are saying, wow, there's been a change, it's been then that's that's part of the impact. It it certainly is. And I think it's for for any additional provision that you're putting in place, as part of that provision mapping process, what you need to be thinking about is how are we going to assess the impact of this particular intervention or, or, or provision. So if you are, if you're, if you've got, um, say, for example, a, li- a literacy intervention in, in place, it, it might be that you can, you can show the, you can show the progress that, that pupils are making through, through teacher assessment, but it might be that you, you know, you want to use, um, something like a, a standardized reading test so that you get a reading score it might be that if you're using um, a more nuanced assessment system such as b squared that you've then got those smallest that smaller steps progress to show within that particular subject area or focus area 
But if you're doing, you know, if you're putting provision in such as um, a, a nurture group, for example, then again, when you start that provision, you need to be asking the question, well, how am I going to, to show the impact? So it might be that you're using something like a box hole profile or a strengths and difficulties questionnaire where you're baselining the children right at the start and then you're assessing them again at the end and, and you've got clear, hopefully, clear indication of the progress that they've made as a result of that intervention. I mean, you can't, you can't always say that any changes are just directly as a result of that intervention. There are lots of other factors to take into consideration as well. But it is important that you, you, know, you can show that the, the intervention is likely to be having impact. Yeah, I think generally the outcome you're looking for will help you decide what sort of interventions to use anyway. So when you're doing that nurture group, you might not be looking for the academic, you might be looking for the more social side to be developing. So it's making sure when you're thinking about that, as Natalie said, using that uh, questionnaire, having that baseline, it might not be an academic baseline. No, it no. It might no, be no. the fact that when you try and have a conversation, you try and you answer these questions, you're getting no responses. And later when you might get responses. It's just simple as that. Um, my nephew has been going through some therapies and how they feel a year and a half ago, could not answer a single question about how they feel, but is now being able to start answering those questions. Mm. So sometimes for the parent, that's a big change. Yeah. So there's lots, there's lots of different things to think about. And it's about starting from where the child's at as well and, and looking at progress from, from, the ch- from the individual child's starting point. But in order to do that, you need to know what the child's starting point is in the first place. Yes. As a assess, plan, do, review process comes in absolutely everywhere. It certainly does. Yeah. It's, uh, you can throw it at anything and it will stick. It will go everywhere. <laughs> so uh, when, you, when you talked about um, what are your effective systems, as a SENCO, you're assessing what you've got. Yeah. You're thinking about what you're going to do. So it goes everywhere. So everything you do, you'll always hit that cycle. Absolutely. Yeah. Whether you're talking whether you're applying that to an individual child or whether you're applying that to, to, to your your strategic role as a SENCO and, and, and all of that planning of strategic planning of provision across the whole school. Yeah, the assess plan do review cycle fits. Yes. Yeah. So knowing the law. So there's obviously legal requirements for the SENCO's role. Mm-hmm. Let's just go through those. Okay, so yeah, I think that it sounds like a, a bit of an obvious thing to say, but actually it is really important that SENCOs do understand, you know, the SEN and equalities law because it's obviously it features so so heavily in the work that you do. And having a good understanding of, of, of that law is, is, is really key, particularly when it comes to, you know, thinking about applications for education, health and uh, needs assessments, for example, and how you might support parents through that process. And, you know, what happens if there are if there are disagreements or there are challenges? That's often the time where it's really important that, that, that you understand the law. So we're talking about SENCOs making sure that they know the implications of the Children and Families Act or at least part three of the Children and Families Act, which is, if you like, the key legislation that, you know, that, that, that refers to the HCP process, for example. It's also important that SENCOs understand the SEND regulations. So there are a set of regulations that go alongside the Children and Families Act that were, de- were developed when the, when the Act was published. So the regulations include things like the regulations for 
Senko's having to be qualified, having to be qualified teachers and also doing the national award for Senko's within three years of, of taking on the role. So that's one set of regulations. There's also another set of regulations which specifically refers to the requirements of the SEN information report. So, you know, again, as a Senko, you need to know what those are. Understanding the Equalities Act, of course, is, is really important. So, for example, understanding implications of the reasonable adjustments duty and also how how that impacts on all stakeholders within the school. Because, again, you know, going back to teachers' responsibilities, for example, teachers and all of the staff have all got a responsibility to make sure that they are making reasonable adjustments for children and young people with disabilities in their school. So it's it's not just about the Senko saying, yes, I understand the law. It's actually, what are the implications for the rest of my staff? And how do I support them to understand to understand that? And then the other thing, of course, really, really importantly, is the Send Code of Practice. So the, the, the Code of Practice is the statutory guidance I'm not quite sure how how statutory guidance works because if it's guidance, does it actually mean you have to do it? But if it's statutory, you do. But anyway, that, that's what it is. It's statutory guidance. So basically, as a school, you really do need to be following the, the, the code of practice. And if you don't, then actually you need to have a really good reason why you're not doing that. And you need to be able to show what you're doing as an alternative. So, you know, basically you should be following the code of practice. So, you know, Senko's understanding all of that law and statutory guidance is, is really important. There's an organisation called IPSI who really do specialise in SEND law and as well as providing some really useful guidance and advice on their website for schools, but also for parents as well. They do a number of different courses, face-to-face and online courses to help understanding of, of the SEND law um, and I would really recommend for any SENCO to actually to to do that course I, I did it a couple of years ago and it's ju- it just gives you a really good grounding in understanding the Children and Families Act the Equalities Act and the SEND regulations and, and also the key parts of, of the code of, of practice so I would really recommend that that SENCOs have a have a look at that. I think the, the key message in there is there's it's not just about the Senko knowing them. It's about supporting the whole school and their understanding of that. Yeah, including senior leaders and governors as well, because, you know, ultimately, if we take, for example, the Equalities Act, ultimately, it's, it's a governor's responsibility to ensure that the school is, is you know, is, is meeting the requirements of the uh, of the Equality Act. So governors have got to have certainly got to understand those key implications of that of that legislation. So we've just spent the last 40 minutes talking about all the stuff that Senko's got to do. And now it comes down to that really the uh, million dollar question of how much time. That is the million dollar question, isn't it? Okay. So there, there, isn't, a, there isn't a straightforward answer to this, <laughs> to this question because it does, of course, depend on a lot of factors. You know, it, it depends, on, depends on the size of the school for a start. It depends on the overall percentage of children with SEN you have in your school, both at SEN support and with, with an EHCP. It depends on things like your, your, your staffing structure and 
who else the Senko might have around them to perhaps do some of, of the do some of the Senko role, if you like, alongside the Senko. So for example, if you're if Senko, you're lucky lucky enough to have a team of people. So, you know, just thinking about one particular secondary school that I was working with the other day where Send is a is a real priority and leaders really understand what Send is about. They have a, a full-time Senko they have who is part of the senior leadership team. They have an assistant Senko who is is a qualified teacher but hasn't yet done the national award for Senko, probably will do in the future. But that person takes on some of the responsibility around supporting teaching and learning. They also have an SEN administrator. So that person supports with a lot of the systems that we talked about, putting those in place, keeping them up to date, keeping children's records up to date, supporting with things like getting the paperwork ready for annual reviews and so on. And then they have a team of teaching assistants as well who will provide the direct support to to, to the students. So that, you know, that obviously that's a, not every school can, can afford <laughs> that kind of team. But just in terms of the amount of time that Senko should have, you've got to take into consideration the, the other people around you that can support that SEN role. So as I say, lots of factors really to take into consideration. Something that's really interesting, actually, if you're just going back to the the workload survey, the nascent Baspar University workload survey, what they have done in that survey is actually to provide a table at the back of the survey, which gives recommended amounts of time that Senkos should have in order to be able to complete their role effectively. And this is very much based on the feedback that they got from the, the Senkos that they surveyed for the report. So what they've done is to split split it down into, into different times, depending on, first of all, the size of your school. So whether you're a small, average or large primary or secondary. And then secondly, they've also split it depending on whether you have an average percentage of children with SEN in your school or above or below average. So just as, a, as an example, if you are if you are an average sized primary school with an average percentage of SEN, and by average, we're talking round about 15%. That's the national average is 14.9%. So then the recommendation is that the Senko should have three to four days of effectively of non-contact time to, to carry out their role. If you are an average size secondary with an average size amount of children with SEND, then that should be four to five days. And if you're a large secondary with average or above average, then the recommendation is is at least five days. So the implication there is that, they sh- you know, in that sort of size school, the Senko should have additional support, whether that's from assistant Senko or, or another Senko or a SEN administrator. So it's worth having a look at at that table because it gives you know some some helpful guidance and i would say that it you know it would be great if if every school in the country could follow that guidance because it could make a real difference to the impact that 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 senkos could have yes you know we have obviously have to weigh that up alongside school budgets because you know not all schools can, can would actually be able to afford 
to go with those recommendations in, in, in some cases. But it is, it's, it's such an important role. And if the Senko is allowed to have that time to be effective, then, you know, the difference that it can make to some of our most vulnerable children is, is huge. So, yeah, if you're, you know, if you're a Senko in a, in a school and you're thinking, I, I am really, really struggling with time or lack of time have a conversation with you know with 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 your line manager you gave that 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 example Dale right at the beginning about that that Senko who who did that had the conversation with with their head and as a result you know had had more time I'm I'm not suggesting that that's going to happen in every case but it, it's certainly worth having that conversation share the report with your head teacher or your line manager you know it, it might be worth k- keeping a, a really brief sort of diary because if you, if your leadership team don't necessarily fully understand the role of the Senko, they might not necessarily realise everything that you do. So it, I know this is taking time, but <laughs> if you just even just over a few weeks kept a little bit of a record or a diary of, of, of what your day was consisting of, just to show the amount and the, the depth, really, of, uh, of the work that you, know, that you do as a, as a Senko. I think, in theory, I suppose those recommendations are based on having all the systems set up and always maintaining it so you've got everything there and you're working but so if you're a school where SEN hasn't been a big priority and you've got a lot to do you're a new in place Senko there's actually you might need a lot more time to yeah, actually might there. Yeah. yeah again it's about taking all of those different factors into consideration yeah so it's, it's one of the things if you're if you're sitting going we're not in a good place you might need a lot of time and it's not meant to be just your time. It might be across the whole school that every member of staff needs to dedicate time to special needs as you make that a whole school priority. Yeah, definitely. So we've gone through all their all, all the responsibilities, all the stuff they've got to do. We talked about how much time. And the thing we always, always have to make sure we're thinking about is that Senko's well-being. Yeah. So Senko is generally that member of staff in a school that basically will take on all that stuff for special needs. And I see people just work themselves into the ground. They work themselves into ill health. And and it, it's in the phrase I always hear a lot, well, if I don't, who will? That's the phrase I hear so often from Senkos. And somebody came up to me and told me this, and I was, I was quite blunt to her. <laughs> I said, you won't make it to the end of the term. All right, you will literally, you'll be out of school, and then what? Then you won't be there for longer. So what will happen then? And I didn't see her again. And about a year later, she phoned me up and said, you were right. I didn't make it to the end of term. And I then had the next term off because I couldn't cope. So that's quite an extreme, but probably not that extreme with some Senkos and what I read on Facebook and how they feel and lack of support. Yeah, I, I don't think it, it, you know, it is necessarily extreme because, you know, again, going back to the workload survey, I think 71% of Senkos said that they they did actually enjoy the role most or all of the time, you know, which is, which is great. That, that's, that, that, that's a positive thing. But even so, the, the, there was a, a significant percentage of Senkos who actually said that they didn't, genuinely didn't know whether they'd still be in the role in five years' time. And actually the main reason for that was because of the, because of the workload. And, you know, we've got, we've got so many great Senkos in this country we're doing an absolutely fabulous job but if we can't if we can't retain them because of the workload challenges then 
you know, they're, they're not they're not going to be there long enough to to have the impact. So that you know that that well being is is really important, and this is this is about Senko's thinking about about first of all about their own well being. What's the the phrase? You can't you can't pour from an empty cup. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna help other people, which essentially is what the role of the Senko is all about, um, you've actually got to help yourself first of all. Otherwise, you're just not going to be in a, a in a state to be able to help to help anybody else. So it's about the Senko thinking. Well, you know, what can I do for myself to maintain my well being? It's also about other leaders supporting that as well. And you know, so for, for the Senko part, part of that is about being able to say no, which is really difficult really difficult for actually for most teachers to, to do but particularly senkos because just by the nature senkos generally tend to be very generous people who do want to help all the time and, and don't like to say no but sometimes you really just do have to say no and i think also to remember that despite what other other people might think sometimes you are not expected to be the expert on absolutely everything it's amazing that when you know when you become a senko the night before you officially start it's like this fairy comes and waves a magic wand and you are expected to be the literally the font of all knowledge for everything sen and and that's that that's how other staff will sometimes see you so, but, but, you know, because it's not, it's not possible. It's not possible at all. It's not, it's not possible for an experienced Senko to know everything, you know, and if you're relatively new to the role, then possibly even less so. So again, you, you've got to be, I suppose you've got to be strong enough to be able to say to staff, well, actually, I, I don't know the answer to your question, but I will try and find out or I'll see if I can find someone else who does. So, you know, don't, don't feel that you've got to try and be the expert in, in everything or all of the time. I think that saying I don't know, not only to staff, but also sometimes to parents. Yeah. Sometimes um, Carrie and Dave, Carrie and Grant, Dave Grant, they talk about their experiences with schools. And and sometimes the parents, as we often say, parents know their children best. Yeah. So sometimes they will give you, they can give you so much knowledge in the playground about their child and that condition so quickly. And it will help you a lot rather than say, rather, so it's, it's use that knowledge you can get from other people. Definitely. And it, it's about, it's about, it's, it's one of the benefits of partnership working, isn't it? You know, we, 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 we know that particularly in this, in this job, in this area, that working in partnership with other people is, is really crucial to getting the best outcomes for children and, and young people. And, and establishing those partnerships in the beginning takes time because you know it's a lot of that is about relationships and developing relationships and trust but once you've got that as you say there are so many benefits to working in partnership because it it, it does mean that you're not trying to do everything by, by yourself so you know whether that's a partnership with the parents whether it's the partnership that you've got with other teachers in your school you know whether it's a partnership with your SEN governor because they can they can support you as um you know as a bit of a sort of a, a champion for SEN if you like a, a, across the school, whether it's partnership with partnerships with with other professionals, you know a, a, again this is about sharing knowledge, understanding, expertise. Everybody's working essentially towards the same goal, so um, yeah, it benefits everybody really to be working. You know, we're working in in, in partnerships. 
I think just to go back to that well-being, I think how valued someone feels can make a big impact on them. So two people doing exactly the same things, exactly the same processes, but if one feels valued and one doesn't, that will have a huge impact on that person's mental health. So again, it goes back to the senior leaders and that's and how they how they portray that Senko to everyone else. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's a big one. If yeah. you get that support from the senior leaders, yeah. you you can you, you can you can get on with it, you'll feel supported, it'll be better. But if you're not feeling valued by your senior leaders, then probably the rest of the staff won't value you as much. And it's it's it's, it's a negative, huge yeah. negative. It is. I think well, you know, one of the things that that that's actually being talked to quite a lot about now is the idea of supervision for Senkos, which, which isn't something you know typically we we've really considered before. But and this is you know this is this is part of of Senko wellbeing because as a Senko, you're you're quite often in a situation where you're dealing with very kind of confidential, highly emotional you know, aspects of of the job, which can sometimes lay really heavily, you know, on, on the shoulders of, of a Senko. And actually, that idea of, of Senkos having supervision around that could be really helpful. You know, when we think about other, other professions, which actually link very closely, I would say, to SEN. So, for example, educational psychologists, you know, they, as a matter of course, they, they are provided with supervision as part of their role. There's an understanding there of the, you know, that, that the elements of, of that job. And I think quite often it can be quite similar for Senkos, but it's not really something that as a profession we've put in place. But certainly something worth thinking about and exploring a bit more for the future, I would say. Yeah. Um, the last question I say is that when you think about mental health is if you think about when you have things like flu, I think pneumonia is you'll be sitting there shivering even though you're boiling hot. And you'll cover yourself up and you won't actually be helping yourself. It takes someone else to come along and say, you need to take that duvet off. You need to do that. And somebody with hypothermia might not, and sometimes you don't realize you're ill. Yeah. Someone else comes along and tells you. And so when you're the Senko, I'm not saying you're ill being a Senko. Um, <laughs> when you're that Senko, you may have no idea how overworked, how close to that limit you are. You might need someone else to take and look after you and be that supervisor, that your head teacher sitting there going, okay, that person needs more more support. Mm. It does require other people to help and just look after everyone, look after each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think we've kind of come to the end of everything. I think we've covered a lot of the stuff today. Okay. All the stuff that Natalie's mentioned, so the two workload surveys, the original one and the follow-up, I'll put those in the show notes. Uh, Senko induction pack from the Send Gateway. That'll be in the show notes. Senko forum. So if you have questions, you can go to the Senko forum. There's Nason, which have training for staff. A link to Ipsy. And you've also put a link to uh, one of the provision mapping softwares called Provision Map. I have. That, that's the Provision Map by Edukey. Edukey. Yeah. Which is the one I would recommend. So uh, there's your evidence-based decision-making. Natalie says so. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, a book somebody's written, maybe, The Perfect Senko. Oh, yeah, that, I think that would be a really helpful uh, a helpful resource. Yeah, it's a, I hear it's a really good book. I'd probably buy two copies, one for you as a Senko, one for your head teacher. Oh, brilliant. What an excellent, excellent suggestion. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> yes, 
buy two copies and stick one in your head's desk. Definitely. <laughs> so a uh, big thank you for coming on the show today, Natalie. Pleasure. Thank you for asking me. So I said, all the links will be in the show notes, um, which I think they do generally go on most of the um, podcast uh, software, but you can find them on our website. So www.thesendcast.com. Big thank you for listening to the show. Always, I always like to know what people think. So please get in contact. You can leave reviews. You can comment on the different posts on the website, or you can make a comment on Twitter using the hashtag Sendcast. And if you want to drop me an email, you can just send an email to dale at thesendcast.com. You can find us on all the usual social media channels. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. On Instagram, The Sendcast. And on LinkedIn, just search for The Sendcast. If you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, or anything else at all, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And if you've enjoyed The Sendcast, please look into the virtual Send Conference. Or if you're a parent, look at Parent Talks. I mentioned these at the beginning of the podcast. They're great ways to get support and advice around SEND. Both events are run by B Squared. Um, they're not about what we do at all. They're about supporting a wide range of areas with their SEND. You can access the videos across the internet when it suits you. And our school events can be accessed by everyone in the school, not just the Senko. So it's a great way to support that high-quality teaching and empowering all those staff. So really, really valuable. You can buy tickets for future events or past events. The videos are always available. The cost for the school's conferences is £60. And I said this covers the entire school, not per person. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering you a 10% discount just by using the code SENDCAST10. You can find out more about the events for schools by going to www.virtualsendconference.com. Parent Talks are only £10 for each series. And for that, you get 12 great videos aimed to support parents and carers in a variety of ways. So I think in series one, we've got a video sort of helping understand autism, transitioning from primary to secondary, transitioning into adult life. So there's lots of different topics going on. And schools, you can also access these as well to support your parents. So it's a great way of making that connection with parents really valuable. So for more information on uh, parent talks, go to www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash parents so thank you for listening to the podcast we'll be back next week with another episode of the sendcast goodbye from me goodbye from me bye <laughs>